Welcome to TV7 Israel's podcast. We invite you to listen and share our latest content from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to yet another episode of TV7 Editor's Note. I'm Jonathan Hassan and joining me for today's program is my dear friend and colleague, former ambassador of Israel to the United States and uh, the deputy foreign minister here in the country, Daniel Elon, how are you today? Thank you. Shalom, Jonathan. Always good to be with you. It's always good to have you indeed. And we'll open today's program as we always do in here uh, with prayer. And then we'll start our discussion on uh, what uh, challenges Israel today, uh, where we're at, what are the both internal as well as external challenges that we face. Um, but as I said, we'll start with prayer. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to uh, have uh, today's uh, program, also together with uh, our dear friend Daniel Elon here. Father, I pray that you will guide and lead this discussion, that anything that we do or say will be to your glory. We will truly be able to, together, uh, serve uh, all of uh, the people at home watching right now. We give you all glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> all right, Dani. Um, Let's uh, put things on the table. Israel is not in a good place right now, domestically. No, it certainly is in the worst place uh, in my life, during my lifetime, as, as far as I can remember. So if uh, Yom Kippur War, 73, and of course the Independence War in 1948, where our physical existence was at stake, here is much more than that. It's our spiritual, it's our solidarity, it's what binds us together as a people. Mm. And this is why it could be much, much more dangerous. And, uh, and here, what is the danger? The danger is that we split out to two different peoples. Um, Back I'm, to the days of the Bible where exactly the days Judah of the Bible. and Israel. Judah and Israel, yes. Unbelievable. And you, and you can see it, even, even geographically almost. You see in Judea where all the settlements are. This is Judea, Judea. And here in Jerusalem, and here is it, Yes, and of course in Jerusalem. And uh, throughout the, uh, the coastal plains, it's Israel. I hope we will not get there. I think um, it is incumbent upon our leaders to do it, mostly in the government, because they have the authority, they have the power. Mm. Unfortunately, Jonathan, and I say it with a lot of great pain, I do not see the government really gearing up, taking in, in full understanding and scope of their responsibility. They are the ones who have to reach out. They are the ones who should slow down. They are the ones who can put things in perspective. And yes, we can find a very, very happy medium. Mm. Well, you know, it, it brings memories to, to myself. Obviously, I also never experienced this in my life, uh, the divisiveness. But it brings memories. Um, I remember talking with my late father, about the situation in Israel in 1948, in the early 50s. He was working at the time here in Jerusalem in the office of Ben-Gurion as uh, the assistant to Professor Goyton, who was the chief advisor of the prime minister then. And uh, he used to tell me, yeah, we sat in uh, the King George Street uh, in a small cafe there in front of the old Knesset, where it used to be. And you'll see the prime minister uh, together with his wife walk or the president walk with his wife. And you know, this, one security guard would walk uh, 20 or 30 feet behind them, 
letting them, you know, just roam the streets and everybody was appreciative of who they are and their privacy, obviously. Today, this is not the case. Uh, we see also uh, on both sides, you know, of, of the political aisle, so to speak, even though it's not two sides, it's multiple sides at this stage. It really is alarming. I, I had a conversation um, a couple of days ago with a uh, uh, senior member of the American National Security Council uh, who just was in Israel, and, and uh, I happened to miss him, so I, I gave him a call and we communicated, and uh, he told me, Jonathan, uh, the, the situation here in Israel, we are concerned. We are concerned, and... In the last two years, we hear the words, you know, civil war, civil war, civil war, blood of, between brothers. I can't fathom to where we've gotten. How did we get here? That's a very good question. I think what we see, how did we get here? This was the result, I mean, direct result of the last elections. Unfortunately, the last elections and the results, I believe, do not really reflect accurately you know, the, the, let's say, the fabric of our society. Um, first of all, you know, now in retrospect, let's say if we have left and right, left and center I would put together, left and center and the right, left and center were just disorganized altogether. Mm. And we know that with just a different reorganization, with the same number of votes, the, uh, the mandate picture in the Knesset would have been differently, right. would have been different. And with a different one, 60-60, that means the government, the interim government of Lapid would have continued. Um, Even uh, though I, I must say, we're both conservative right exactly. in, in our, exactly. our uh, ideological, political um, perspectives, so to speak. But the Lapid government was terrible. It was terrible. And what we see here actually is backlash? the reaction and the backlash. Absolutely. Mm. You know what? It's a lot. It reminds me a lot of what happened in the United States. Eight years of Obama, which took the United States all the way to the le irresponsible left, I would say. I mean, I have a lot of respect, like I know you do, to, to the left. I mean, this is really an opinion, a worldview, which is fine. But on the extremes... It's totally, you know, irresponsible and unreasonable. Eight years of Obama, the backlash was Trump. Mm. So I believe now the backlash to the Lapid government and Lapid Bennett is what we see now with Smotrich and Ben Greer. And it seems to me that Bibi Netanyahu, his prime minister, is not in control anymore. And this is what's the scariest thing, that he is not in control. Mm. Control, of course, is a very strong word, uh, but a sense of control, I think, is a problem. There's a sense charge. of insecurity. Yes, he's not in charge. Uh, yeah, and yeah. unfortunately, uh, you know, it, it also brings to mind what we see today. Um, it really reminds me of those uh, the period during the Trump administration when we saw in the streets the BLM and Antifa, the anti-fascist, uh, uh, so-called, they, yeah. they call themselves like this, they are far from anti-fascist, they are anarchists and uh, who deliberately just destroy and, and seek to destabilize countries and are quite substantively funded uh, by uh, various competing or competing countries uh, in uh, various realms, of course, within the context of strategic competition, destabilizing your rivals. 
is something that uh, is not uncommon, unfortunately. And Netanyahu last week uh, spoke about this, about the fact that there may be foreign, you know, uh, intervention here. To what degree do you see this really? And, and there is. But the question is, to what degree? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because the problems are real problems. Reform is necessary. Everybody agrees about that. Even in the center right. and center-left, right. they agree about that. The left and the, the so-called liberal left, even though there's nothing liberal about them, are obviously against that because they control the courtrooms these days. What, what needs to be done in order to alleviate the tensions and to try and bring about a certain understanding that will be that responsible anchor to Israeli society? Well, in short, that's a very good question, you know, how? You know, it's always easier to say what needs to be done. The how is always the most difficult. Mm -hmm. And here I would say that we have pretty much a, a, a solution, a roadmap, which was offered by the president of the state, uh, Buzi Herzog, which is not left, may not be right. I think he is dead center, and I think he is very well respected. I think he is a moderate. I think he is reasonable. I think he would like to really bring a happy uh, ending and a happy medium. And he also, you know, in his uh, roadmap to, towards a solution, he said, yes, changes must be, you know, done. However, let's do it in a consensus. And here I, uh, I put my, um, let's say, my chips on, uh, on Benny Gantz. Interesting. I think that he is the one who understands it. I think he is the one who could, you know, lead a, um, let's say, a conversation with either Bibi Netanyahu. Of course, we have another complication, Jonathan, is that the court or the legal advisor prevents Bibi Netanyahu because of conflict of interest. Which I think is absurd, by I the think way. it's absurd, of course. He doesn't deal with the, 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 the nitty-gritty, but he can really calm down. He yes. can really give directions. And uh, uh, But I think at the end of the day, it would be the leaders. It's not the uh, the lieutenants. It's not uh, Smotrich or uh, Simcha Rotman, which is the uh, chairman of the Judicial Committee, or the Minister of Justice, Yeri Levin. It's going to be Netanyahu and Benny Gantz, and um, together with the president, once they agree, and they don't have to agree on the details, but once they agree, okay, let's stop everything before we before we fall into the abyss. Mm. Let's stop now and talk. And that means for uh, Bibi Netanyahu to tell his lieutenants, stop the legislation. I think it makes sense to stop the What's the hurry? I mean, 75 years, we've had the same judicial system. All of a sudden, we have an amok, uh, you know, uh, run to what? Stop it. On the other hand... Postpone it. it. Don't stop it. Postpone it. Right. Postpone it until we reach, uh, give us a chance to reach uh, some... Consensus, right. Yeah, some modicum of consensus. And Benny Gantz should tell his camp, come down, let's give the talks a chance the talks would not be at the prime minister's office, would not be at the Knesset, would be at the president's home. The president's uh, uh, residence is the home of all Israelis. Let's mm. sit there until white smoke billows above us. It's interesting that you say that. I actually had a, a 
conversation with uh, a few uh, friends uh, who happen to be very deep in the security establishment. And they also mentioned Benny Guns to be the, the responsible actor uh, and uh, ultimately to one, the one to influence. And I asked them, how so? Because Yair Lapid is the one with the larger block within, you know, the, the so-called opposition. And uh, they noted, look, uh, Yair Lapid might have the larger block, but Benny Gantz has a lot more security-related support. Yes. And the people from the security establishment, including the generals, including yes. the, the strong establishment that is the backbone of Israeli society, they follow Benny Gantz today. And, and that was quite interesting to see uh, that factor bringing in him as the individual rather than uh, the one who won or secured more mandates. Yeah, he has more gravitas. He has more experience. Unfortunately, um, Yair Lapid is, is, I don't see him as a leader. It mm. seems like he is being led by others, unfortunately. And with Benny Gantz, you know, you have also former chief of staff, Lieutenant General Gary Eisenkot, which I know personally, we work together at the mm. cabinet of yep. Sharon and before that of Ewood Barak. A very, very, very decent guy. Very responsible. And very responsible, yeah. very smart, no ego almost whatsoever. Uh, and Benny Gantz, Gadi Eisenkot, people like that. Gidon Saar, which also a very responsible guy. I mean, he comes from an ideological right, but a very decent guy. He's a revisionist, if we put exactly. things on the table. Exactly, Indeed. exactly. He is yeah. a real Jabotinsky Student indeed, uh, who is the father of Israeli um, revisionism or the the right wing camp in Israel? Just to put things in, in uh, context for everybody listening right now, uh, let's bring another angle into the picture, uh, as we have enough time for that. Thankfully, at a time when there is significant disarray in Israel, mm-hmm. we're faced with a lot of security challenges. Not only the Iran issue is being not necessarily put off the table, but uh, not dealt with in, in a, a, a cohesive matter or in a, in a responsible manner at this stage, uh, and not only by Israel, but by the international community at that. When I look at Judea, Samaria, the Jordan Valley, tensions are rising. Uh, just last week, we saw a helicopter coming from Jordan to pick up the Palestinian Authority chairman, who, you know, the, uh, President Mahmoud Abbas, to hospital uh, for an emergency. Uh, I don't know exactly what he underwent because that's obviously classified. But he's 87 years but old. But he's 87 years old. The moment he passes, there's going to be chaos in those territories. Uh, I... I do know that already certain very significant families in the tribal society of the Palestinians and Arabs in general are communicating with one another, making those deals, making those arrangements to back one another in the event that this occurs, even could occur today or tomorrow, but it could also occur in several years. To what degree are tensions right now on the ground truly attainable or containable? Well, unfortunately, it it is very much directly related to the first topic we discussed. I think today the focus and attention is on Israel internal 
issues. And unfortunately, we lose sight of the real, real threats to Israel. You mentioned Iran. We will deal with it maybe later. Uh, but Iran is, in a way, it's more dangerous, but it's not right around the corner. I mean, we still have some time. It's also involved, though, in the West Bank. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. With Hamas and with Hezbollah. Absolutely. But the immediate problem that we have is in Judea and Samaria. First of all, we see almost a disintegration of the Palestinian Authority, partly because uh, Abu Mazen, as you mentioned, is not in charge, you know, and uh, and as you mentioned, uh, those, um, I would say, under the radar or underground organizations is not just on political scale, but also, also uh, you know, very, very, I would say, military type. Mm. With they, all those groups that you mentioned, whether it's the Dahlan or Jibril or Hussein al-Sheikh or whoever, or uh, those who uh, are um, backing Barghouti, all those guys already are assembling enormous amount of weapons yep. to this day of after Abu Mazen. And it's going to be chaotic. It's right on our border, in our midst. They're going to fight each other. But They already fought each other in 06, obviously, in, in the Gaza Strip. And we saw yes, yes. what happened there. Israel was able to, you know, lay back and allow things to happen. But we're talking here about villages yes. which have an Israeli community in between. This means that Israel will be in the car crosshairs and each one will try to showcase their might by potentially also targeting three Israel. miles from where we speak. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, this brings a question, of course, about, again, are we able to contain the current situation? Is Israel able to contain? You were uh, in government, obviously. You've uh, uh, been on the table and, and, you know, taking the decisions. To what degree is Israel able to contain at a time when also the United States is in disarray of itself? Yeah. And as the largest backer of Israel, it doesn't really have the capacity at this stage uh, for lack of leadership and, and other reasons that we won't go into right now as uh, we don't want them to meddle in our affairs, obviously, yeah. and they like to meddle in their own. Uh, to what degree is this going to impact our ability? And I am not a person who likes policy of containment personally. I think it's, it's, uh, it indicates a lack of leadership. Well, in many ways, uh, Jonathan, the period today and what's happening in Judea and Samaria um, brings memory to me of 2001, 2002, when I was, before I went to Washington, I was a foreign policy advisor to Ariel Sharon as the prime minister. Yeah. And uh, he was the one who said in the beginning, if you recall, restraint is strength. It wasn't the case. Containment did not work. And, you know, we absorbed and absorbed and absorbed. March of 2002, 135 Israeli dead by Palestinian terrorists. And that kind of broke, that was the kind of the straw. It wasn't a straw, it was a big block breaking the camel's back. And then we started the um, defensive shield, you know, the, uh, the, the operation in, uh, in Judea and Samaria. Which created a deterrent created deterrence for years absolutely until 2015 where the new generation just 
a new generation, exist. right? Yeah. What they call the millennials. Right. They do not remember. You know, they are now coming of age, and they are now doing what their predecessors a generation uh, ago tried to do. And just as in 2001, now we see that the Palestinian Authority is nowhere to be seen. Nowhere to be seen. Maybe with a little bit of a difference. When it was in 2001, too, under Arafat, Arafat was actively engaged. And if you recall, many of the Palestinian uh, police men, they were engaged in, in terrorism. Right. Now it's kind of lack of total interest or control or charge or anything. And this is where the streets and this uh, all those uh, organized uh, Shabab mm-hmm. youth people, whether it's the uh, Lions group or anyone else, are the ones calling the shots. And it seems like we're on the verge of another intifada. Mm-hmm. Now, what does that mean? That Israel already has to now gear up for another defensive shield, because this is the only way to stop this wave of terrorism. And uh, we obviously heard uh, the defense minister, uh, Major General in Reserve Yav Gallant, last week communicate about uh, Israel needing to brace itself for this. Uh, either it will yeah. erupt in the West Bank and Judea and Samaria, the Jordan Valley and, and Jerusalem, or uh, in southern Israel yeah. vis-a-vis the Gaza Strip. Yeah. Where are we standing, though, when we look at the situation with all of the disarray happening right now in Israel? That's why I think it's important to emphasize that Israel does not and cannot allow itself to be in such a disarray at this moment with so many challenges at hand. Where, where do we stand vis-a-vis Iran? Because obviously the Iranians, and, and this is already public knowledge, are heavily financing, training, and equipping the Iranian proxy, Palestinian Islamic Jihad, Hamas. They openly also mm-hmm. voiced their appreciation of the Islamic Republic. Uh, we won't go into Qatar being also a big uh, supporter of those organizations as the biggest backer, actually, of the Muslim Brotherhood, which happens to ironically also be under investigation for a very significant corruption case in the European Union, which has been supporting right. uh, those uh, NGOs supporting the Palestinians in the street. So it's quite tricky in, in this sense. But at the same time, we hear the International Atomic Energy Agency communicate about the fact that the Iranians have now crossed into a uh, 84.7% enriched uranium. The the bombs of Hiroshima and Nagasaki contained 80%. And we saw the devastation of that. It's, you know, quite nicely documented, unfortunately. The consequences thereof are horrendous. They're nearing 90%, and still there is inaction. What's going on? Well, unfortunately, you know, the disarray that you mentioned, not just in Israel, but throughout the world, you know, whether it's in the Ukraine, whether the China's uh, provocations, whether it's a domestic situation in the United States, you know, energy costs going up, uh, the food security with grains, you know, are still uh, um, missing because of the Ukraine and, you know, Egypt. Look, Egypt's economy is on, on the verge of, you know, on, on the verge of hunger because they're so much dependent on these grains. Unfortunately, from all this disarray, 
the ones who enjoy it the most are the Ayatollahs, the ruthless Ayatollahs in Tehran. They are the ones who take advantage of that. And, and they can really go underground, under the radar, and do what they do. Kill and butcher their people, you know, um, I would say almost indiscriminately. Uh, continue, as you say, getting out, you know, a hair just uh, from the 90%. And, of course, continue the subversion in, in, in the region. And this is where it is the most, I, I, it seems to me that now we are probably vis-a-vis Iran in the most dangerous juncture since 1979, since the, revolu- the Islamic, Islamic Revolution, Revolution. took, uh, took yeah. place, because it is now falling between the cracks. And if there will not be a leadership, and I, I look at Washington for leadership, snapback sanctions, I think the Europeans are ready for snap, uh, you, know, you just need somebody to give them the direction and the go-ahead. Mm. Snap actions with a credible military threat is the only one that can stop it. Actually, I, I was in Europe last month, and during my visit I had a few meetings on the sidelines on some activities that um, I engaged in. And one of those meetings was with a very senior diplomat, uh, active, And during our conversation, I I asked, why doesn't the European Union designate the Islamic Revolutionary Guards Corps as a terrorist organization? Everybody knows it is. It's engaged in terror, not only in the Middle East, but also particularly in Europe. There were assassination, um, successful assassinations in the Netherlands, in Belgium, in Denmark, in Germany. It's very, very active. Uh, Germany just uh, expelled a couple of diplomats, not because uh, it does so frequently. It never does that. It expelled them because they are actively engaged in terror-related activities on German soil. You know what he told me? He said there is a list of countries that oppose why? Because they have vested interests in Iran. And among those countries, there are also those who claim to want to leave a diplomatic channel open. Finland is amongst them. Uh, there are those who are uh, have deep-rooted connections in multiple levels. Spain is amongst them. You know, you look at those countries and you ask yourselves... Where has Europe come to? It, it is really unabashing, and uh, we need to expose those matters in a manner that will bring about change. And, and I think that this is going to to happen. Danny, I, unfortunately, we've run out of time, but uh, we we will revisit yes, those important. topics. Yeah. And uh, uh, thank you also for yesterday's uh, Middle East review. It was very interesting. Yeah. And I look forward also to the next one and, of course, uh, Powers in Play and and, uh, the other programs you're involved with. Thank you so very much for all that you do. Thank you and God bless. God bless indeed. And God bless all of you at home as well. And thank you for taking out of your time to be part of uh, today's discussion. Uh, And until next time, shalom. Thank you for joining us in another TV7 Israel podcast. For more content, visit our website at tv7israelnews.com or follow us on social media.